My name is Heidi Selzler-Barr, and I'm here today alongside Heather Banks. In today's episode, we will be talking with two different students, one who has been recently accepted into school to become a physician assistant, and another who has been accepted into school for occupational therapy. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Gustavus Health Professions Podcast. Today we have a really fun episode for you. We have two guests with us, Max and Callie. Let's start with you, Callie, if you would introduce yourself. Hi, I am Callie Sizer and I graduated in 2019. I majored in psychology, minored in religion, and was on the pre-occupational health track. Great, thank you. And then Max, how about a little introduction from you? Hi, thanks for having me. My name is Max Matheson. I graduated in 2012, a little bit before you, Callie, so we didn't quite overlap there. Uh, I was studied physics, um, did not double major or minor, just stayed in Olin Hall, second floor, all day. Uh, it was great. Um, I was recently accepted and uh, committed to attending Turo University in Nevada for PA school. So excited to start that in just a few months here. Great. Thank you both for your introductions. All right. So I'm so excited to hear about your path to your health profession. And what I want you to share, because both of your areas are areas that PA requires paid patient care hours, OT requires shadowing hours in order to attend. So I want you to kind of share with our listeners, first of all, what got you interested in this career path and what did you do to prepare to apply to professional school in regards to those hours that are required? And I think believe we're starting with you, Callie. Yes. So I first got interested in going into occupational therapy back in high school. I volunteered in a classroom with students who uh, were on the autism spectrum disorder and it was really fun. And they had a occupational therapist who would come in every couple of weeks. So I was able to see how an occupational therapy therapist worked in a school setting and that really just piqued my interest and then in college I was able to explore more areas of shadowing um, and I was able to see how an occupational therapist works in a hospital setting a rehab setting and a pediatric outpatient setting Great, Max, how about you? I had a somewhat non-traditional um, path into healthcare. Uh, like I said, physics major, um, and I actually kind of spontaneously went on a medical outreach trip uh, in my, between my junior and senior years to Ghana as a um, kind of a three, four, four student team. We gave public health lectures and shadowed this rural physician and it was uh, eye-opening in, in quite, a, quite a few ways, um, really made me consider kind of my privileges and, and direction in the world and came back just with this kind of budding passion for healthcare. So I became a medical scribe in the emergency department and uh, I kind of went from there. I was working with 
you know, doctors and PAs and NPs and PTs and OTs would come in every now and then, although it didn't get a, quite as much uh, experience as you, Callie, with them. Um, and just was exposed to all of these new things and these different career uh, potentials or trajectories that, um, that were all of interest to me to some extent. Considered med school for a while, considered PT for a while, considered kind of all of these things. And it was actually just so overwhelmed that I left the country for a few years. Uh, I um, took some time to, to really think about it and to adventure and to just pivot, even though we didn't have that verbiage back then. This was in 2014. Um, and, I, and I traveled uh, alone and met with friends and just thought about life a lot and kind of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go and where I could try to see myself and my skills um, at that point and ended up as a, a scribe as well in Australia. So that was kind of another perspective um, that I gained that was cool um, and helped, helped flush those things out a, a bit more. Um, returning, I got my EMT certification and uh, uh, my current position as a medical technician, kind of a typical role um, that again, I'm working directly with a PA um, in the wound and the plastics clinic. So kind of hand in hand with her and really got to see more of what that uh, perspective was like, um, both in the clinic and then shadowing her and doctors in the OR. So it's been kind of meandering, I would say, but uh, it's allowed me to consider a lot of different uh, sides of uh, of different issues, different potential trajectories, and just meet a lot of different people and have a lot of conversations uh, trying to learn about all these potential uh, career outcomes. Yeah, thank you both for sharing that. And um, Max, you know, we can appreciate too for PA, um, many of the students are a few years out, right, when they do apply to PA school. And Callie, you know, you kind of shared, not, it hasn't been a direct path for you, but you kind of found it early, right, and kind of followed that there. But it is important that, you know, there's a lot of different ways people approach it in a lot of different times. And um, yeah, Max, we're excited that, that you found your way there, right, through the different adventures and, and jobs that you had. And Heidi and I both, you know, we work with current students and we work with alum. So our load is our both students because not everyone does apply right out of school. Many of them are taking um, one, two plus gap years prior to application. So, so that's cool. Thanks for you both for sharing your stories. I am going to take the conversation just a little bit um, in a different direction. I would love to hear from both of you regarding your personal statement in the application process. Um, so just tell us about how you came about your personal statement, your theme and your focus, um, and just anything you wanna share about that process. Callie, we will start with you. So my main theme of my personal statement was inclusion. Um, I have been a PCA for two years out of college now and was also a PCA during college. And I was really able to see the importance of inclusion and how it really impacted the people I worked with in a positive way. I was able to see them through their therapy appointments too and how their therapists were able to help them be included in certain 
activities. Um, and so I kind of connected the inclusion of peers and the inclusion that they were able to get help from therapy um, and how it just like has strengthened why I wanna go into this field. So I talked about a couple different things and how it really led to this end goal of wanting to be an occupational therapist. Thank you for sharing, Kelly. Um, and as in OT, uh, a lot of times there is not an interview. Sometimes there is, but um, often there is not an interview. So you really want to make sure your um, personal statement is top notch. Um, and compared to other areas, the personal statement is a bit longer for occupational therapy. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. How about you, Max? Uh, I tried to reflect the diverse nature of my own life experiences and kind of uh, my approach or some of my path towards healthcare, not quite the rambling, uh, meandering and circuitous route that uh, I just described, but I tried to synthesize and, and describe concisely um, a number of the different uh, interests uh, or aspects of interest that I have in the PA profession and how those are related to not only my direct patient care experiences, both paid and shadow um, and volunteer or, or observational like we were doing in Ghana, but also um, how, how my non-academic or my extracurricular activities and those skills would translate to uh, my practice and my career as a PA. So. I am a passionate rock climber and I love being active. Um, and actually when I was considering PT, I wrote a lot about those things and how they might fuse and it didn't work out. It wasn't for me. Um, but actually on that tangent, when I was writing my PT personal statement, uh, because I actually got through the application process for PT school, uh, the more I wrote in considering that career, the more I realized that it wasn't for me, which is actually quite an interesting process because I had, I was thinking, oh, PT is the way to go. I've seen all these cool PTs and I heard all these stories and I've felt the benefits. And the more I wrote, the more I was reflecting and realizing, actually, I don't see myself here, but it took all of that writing and reflecting and writing and reflecting to kind of realize that even having the direct experience with PT. So that was actually kind of an interesting pathway that I took um, that pivoted me back towards uh, PA. Um, so I tried to kind of create a semblance of a whole um, with the narrative of um, a diverse skill set and experience set that would translate well to the dynamics of a PA career and all of the Kind of lateral flexibility that it allows in different specialties and different patient populations and all that sort of thing. Um, and like Heidi, I think you mentioned that a lot of PA students uh, take a few years after graduating college to actually apply and start PA school. I believe the average applicant age is about 27 or 28. Um, some students come right out of college. Um, some don't. Some come back after a full career in their 40s or 50s or whatever. 
Um, so I tried to demonstrate my own maturity as well with some of those you know, experiences from Asia that I, I've had life experience outside of academia. And I had seen PAs and other health practitioners in different areas, different specialties, different countries even, and tried to just a, demonstrate that, that I, I kind of knew what I was talking about, that, that I knew what this path was about and that I wanted to do it specifically. Because as a non-traditional student, I didn't have that amazing GPA with all of the high-level science courses and top-notch this and that and research and undergrad and yada, yada, yada. So I needed to make myself stand out um, apart from all of those uber Apple, you know, uber competitive applicants and uh, the, the kind of uniqueness factor uh, or the uniqueness card is what I was trying to play. And it worked, I guess. Yeah, personal statement, um, really tough thing to write, right? And you really do want to um, figure out what your theme is. What is it about you that makes you different? What is it that you want to highlight that the reader on the committee is going to take away about you and remember, right, about you? So sounds like both of you did that since you are both accepted, right? That's, that's awesome. So um, now kind of moving into the centralized application, um, you know, that's pretty daunting. Many, many pages, lots of different information to fill out. Um, so and it, it's a little bit different by each health area, but pretty similar, right? Your experiences, your activities, different things you want to highlight, awards. Can you share with us kind of what was the most challenging part for you of the centralized application? And then do you have any words of wisdom for those students that are just going to be starting this for you know their next cycle when they do it? Callie, why don't we start with you? Yeah, the centralized application, I absolutely loved. It was nice to have everything all in one spot, but that was also one thing that was kind of overwhelming was everything was all in one spot. Something I found to be super helpful was I made Google document folders and I had copied and pasted the questions from the centralized application and put them into the Google doc for the specific college. And I put the deadlines on the top of all of my files so that I knew what ones I needed to get done first. That way I wasn't stressing on getting all of them done at one time. And I was focusing the best I could on the ones that needed to get done first. And once I got those done, I would continue on the process. And I found that to be very helpful and not getting as overwhelmed. Um, obviously I had done my personal statement first so that that would be ready for all of the colleges. And then I went into the separate colleges and worked one by one. There are certain questions that I did find that would be somewhat similar. So I would take bits and pieces from some colleges. Um, but that was the other thing was that there was certain colleges that would have different supplemental essays. And that definitely took a lot of time. One of the colleges I applied to had over six supplemental essays. So that was something that was pretty tricky. And you want to not also be re repetitive in these essays as well. So for that college that had six supplemental essays, I had to try and remember what I talked about, not repeat myself, and then find another 
event or something that would stand out and show some form of leadership or a personality trait or a belief that could make that point strong. I think off of what you're saying, Kelly, it's, it's tough because when you're writing these, these essays, not just your personal statement, but all the supplementals, you read and reread and rewrite and read them again. And then you can't remember what you said in which essay or which iteration. And <laughs> it's, it's easy to go get a little stuck inside your head or inside those essays. Cause you think how many times have I said this about myself or written this story or does this even does this even answer what was the question again yeah. what am I writing about in this essay for this particular school um, so <laughs> it's tough you kind of go down the rabbit hole but I like your strategy of of um, separating them out by schools and by due dates I would like to have done that myself <laughs> but that's a great strategy yeah, and the one thing that was also helpful about dividing those into the different schools was certain schools would have you write how your values, your beliefs, your experience relate to their specific school mission. So being able to know what school it was under, you weren't mixing up colleges with their mission because certain colleges might have something in their mission that the other one doesn't and that you know you are matching up your beliefs to their missions and not getting them mixed up. Yeah, I think Oregon is key. Oh, go ahead, Max. I was going to say for the longest time while I was writing my personal statement and supplementals, I had so many tabs open on my internet because I was trying to keep all the schools, you know, there's one window with 10 tabs for that school and all of the little extra pages so I could flip back and forth and see where their values are and where their research was and where this and that and then my supplemental thing and it being systematic about it, um, like you've described, Kelly, I think that's really helpful, especially starting with that sort of mindset, having your personal statement kind of done and knowing, or, or if not done, then a couple drafts in and knowing kind of some of the anecdotes, some of the stories, some of those themes and leadership and values and beliefs that, that are core to you, um, having those um, laid out and written and expanded upon a little bit can help pave the way to describe them in different lights in supplementals or to reflect them for various schools that have slightly different values than each other, but still similar, um, but different enough that you can't copy and paste because that's dangerous. Yeah, great advice. Because yeah, those those centralized applications take a long time, and the supplemental essays take a long time, right? To do them right and to really put your best foot forward in the writing is something you do need to reflect on. And some of the questions can be similar, right? But they are different enough to really you have to think on them. And I think staying organized and having a structure, like you both talked about, that's great advice. So Callie, I am curious, uh, just kind of to move along here, do you remember um, maybe one or two of the supplemental essay questions that you were asked that you could share with the listeners? Yeah, as I mentioned before, 
a common thing I had seen with some of the schools was how do your values, your beliefs and experiences match up to the school's mission? So going to look at the school that you might want to be going to look at their school mission, kind of just write down ideas, things that match from their mission to your beliefs, your values, your experience. Um, another one was how did your experience through your shadowing, how did that strengthen your understanding of occupational therapy as a, a career? Um, and another one was leadership. So writing down your strengths is something that I had never really done. I hadn't really been in a lot of huge leadership positions. So trying to find little leadership things, which were also super important. And that was one of the ones that had multiple different supplemental essays about different types of leadership so that one you really need to think about different experiences of leadership and it might be something that you don't think is something super big but it could be super important awesome thank you for sh sharing that kelly i um any ot students that will be listening to this that is very beneficial <laughs> so um, let's move on to interviewing. So Max, I will ask you this question, just maybe a bit about how you prepared um, for the interview process uh, with your schools, maybe how many interviews you did, and then maybe one tough question um, that you remember. Uh, first and very much foremost and most helpful was practicing with you, Heidi. Uh, that was excellent. Um, we did some practice interviews. Uh, you gave me some sample questions and their answer analyses. And then we analyzed my answers as well. So that was really helpful to kind of practice in interview mode, suited up and everything, and then have, have a block of pure, inter, uh, pure interview time. And then say, okay, let's let the guard down. Let's regroup and say, okay, let's go over all, each of these questions. What was the question? What was the question asking and looking for? And where did you hit on it? Where did you miss? Where could we improve? And then doing that for every question, that was really helpful. Um, similar to some other resources, there are, my interviews were mostly in the MMI or mini multiple interview format. So it's usually a couple, um, anywhere, you know, three to 10 questions of a short nature, maybe two minutes to read a prompt and then 10 minutes to answer it or something like that. Um, it turns out 10 minutes can go by pretty quickly uh, when you are on the spot, on the, on the hot seat, so to speak. Um, so it was really nice to, um, it was actually super helpful to receive some of those resources about how to practice MMIs, how to approach them, um, including the big interview site that I think you referred me to, Heidi. I spent many hours on that answering these questions, recording myself, listening to myself, and just going over and over and over. And like Callie mentioned, I had not reflected purely on, oh, what are my specific strengths in a leadership role or in whatever role in, in kind of a career focus. Um, a lot of my writing and reflection while traveling was more on values and, and 
deeper, more esoteric things than, you know, do I have people skills or something like that. Also, like you're saying, Kelly, none of us or not all of us, you know, can be a CEO of something or some major leader right out of college or sometimes ever, and that's totally okay. But those small instances of leadership um, were really helpful for me. I was, I started thinking about them of kind of leading from where you are, not necessarily from the top, but how can I, in whatever position I am in this group dynamic, in this community, in this job, in this whatever it might be, how can I demonstrate some aspect of leadership? Maybe that's helping somebody out who's having a rough time. Maybe that's uh, going out of my way to do something extra to, you know, buoy the, the team or, or whatever it might be, but trying to find those little aspects of, of leadership. And then when writing about them or during the interview, these anecdotes don't need to be, you know, fully fledged tomes. You don't have to write a book about this one instance of leadership, but you can share this anecdote and then expand on the themes of it and how it relates to your chosen career, whether that's OT or PT or MD or whatever acronym you want to use. You can, you can start with that little kernel of the anecdote and then expand out of it and you can weave other anecdotes in and then you can, you know, you can, you can go all over the place with it. I'm rambling a little bit, um, but a lot of, a lot of the interview practice was, was kind of doing this sort of thing where you're, you have a few anecdotes, you know, in your, in your holster, so to speak, and you've identified a couple themes within each of them. Oh, I have this story about that time we were stranded in the cave and it flooded and we only were wearing flip-flops and our lantern went out, whatever. <laughs> so what did you do to, to lead from where you were? What, what uh, allowed you to stay calm in that anecdote or in that situation? How did that situation and your behavior in it um, give you skills that would translate elsewhere in your life, whether into academia, whether into your workplace, whether into your career, ideally, um, if it's an interview situation, or how did your observance of other people's behavior give you perspective on things and then expand further? All that said, you can have all these anecdotes and each of them can kind of shine a light on different values that you have, different aspects of your personality and uh, skills and experiences that can be reflected based on the question or questions that are asked, which initially I found quite challenging to read a prompt or to hear a question and kind of deer in the headlights and you think, oh, I don't know, what, what are they asking? I, yeah, I'm not a CEO. I'm not a leader. I've never been a leader. I don't know what's going on anymore. But that practice really kind of helps calm things down. And whether that's recording yourself and on your phone or your you know FaceTime or whatever, and just watching it back or having a practice interview with friends, family, with a career counselor, with someone like Heidi, who is awesome about that and giving that direct feedback, whether that's seeing and listening to yourself and saying, wow, I say, um, a lot. Or saying, oh, I, I hit these couple points, but I totally forgot the ending of my story. And now my story doesn't really work, does it? Okay, so let's go back and let's rehash the story and let's identify these things. 
And the more we practice, the, the more natural the delivery then becomes, the more able we are to easily kind of mold these anecdotes into fit the specifics of the questions being asked. Even if at first they don't necessarily seem, you could start with that cave story. Even if the question was something about, I don't know, how did you, maybe it was maintain calm in a stressful situation. You thought, well, I don't know, I got stuck in traffic yesterday, but that's not really interesting, is it? I was stressed, but so how can I get day way back into something that has multiple values, multiple facets of me as a, as a human, as an individual, and how can that demonstrate some of these qualities? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but practice really helps. Uh, I think hopefully that answered some of your question. Um, Heidi, you'd also asked how many interviews I had done. Um, I interviewed at three schools. Uh, I ended up to, I, so I applied to 10 schools, um, interviewed at three, uh, accepted at two, and then was offered a fourth interview. But by that point, I had already put my deposit down and committed to Turo. And I thought, you know, I've gone through this. It's the fourth interview probably would have been a cakewalk at that point. It would have felt very comfortable, um, but the school was um, not as highly ranked on my list. So I said, "Let's let's sit, let somebody else have that, and I'll just keep my keep my eyes set on the prize." At this point, awesome. Thanks for sharing, Max. And I think you know, um, you know what I heard from both of you too here is just. Like it takes time, it takes practice, it takes preparation, right? You can't just, you can't wing something like this. You can't wing a statement, you can't wing an interview question. So yes, we really encourage people to prepare. Yes, Heidi, excellent job. Um, we, we are here to support you for practice interviews and we're here to be direct too, because it's a, it's a high stakes thing if you're gonna interview. Um, and we wanna make sure to give feedback. So, okay, so we're gonna kind of wrap it up here. So right now we're doing our successful applicant series workshop, Heidi and I are. And so we're going through, you know, a lot of things. Every day we're given little tips of advice. So I want you to think like, what is that one piece of advice that you want to share with someone that is gonna be applying in the future? What's the one thing you would tell them? Callie, let's start with you. So are we talking advice on preparing for grad school? You know, or just planning to apply. Yeah, whatever, whatever advice you think you have, we're open to it. So I think some of the things I've kind of mentioned before was keeping all your information in one area. Um, one thing I wish I would have done better was tracking my hours, writing them down, and then also doing a little bit of a summary of what I did during those hours, whether it be shadowing, whether it be a small volunteering experience or your paid job, write down the experience. Because some of these experiences I had were a couple of years ago and trying to remember exact moments was very hard. So keep that all written down and then also have it all in one spot whether you have that all in a google doc or in a little bit of a in a journal 
Um, Kelly, I think that's great because we're constantly saying keep an online journal or a journal, right? Some people prefer to write, that's fine. But having it in one spot, like you talked about and reflecting at the time, okay? Because people, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to do. You're tired, you come home. I don't really want to do it. I'll remember you don't, okay? So just taking that time to write and reflect, great advice. How about you, Max? It's a big question. There's a lot of tips that I would like to give. Um, I think starting early is generally good advice. Starting early on writing your personal statement, for example, because however many thousand characters it is or thousand words, it takes a while to fill that quantity and then to fill it with quality material because you're gonna have to write more than the personal statement before culling and then revising and having those, whatever it is, 5,000 characters be at least 4,000 characters that are really good and really sh make you shine as an individual and, and show off your passion for this field, um, whatever it might be. I think like Callie mentioned, being organized and um, like you just mentioned, Heather, just, uh, reflecting at the time, uh, as well as getting those the contact info of the people that you shadowed or um, somebody you worked with who maybe could be a reference or um, could write a letter of recommendation for you, um, especially for PA folks or, or others who are a little bit further out of uh, academia, getting a letter of rec from, you know, a professor is usually pretty easy you know, the year you graduate or a year or two out, but they see so many faces come through that unless you're still in really close contact with them, that relationship and you as an individual will have changed quite a bit by the time that you apply three, five, 10 years down the road. Um, and so keeping those contacts or making new ones along the way, I think would be very helpful. Um, I think overall, yeah, just start early with everything. Take a look at the centralized application before you actually are applying. So you can learn how to navigate it. You can learn what it all looks like and how to log on and you get your registration all out of the way. And just taking things one, one step at a time. It's really easy to get overwhelmed by, like Kelly mentioned, all of the schools and all of their questions and oh, you have to input all of your grades. When was that course again? And what did I get? And I have to re request this transcript. And there, there are a lot of moving pieces in the application process, as well as the acceptance process and all of your schooling up until then and all of your schooling afterwards. Just one step at a time, be systematic about it and uh, you'll, get, you'll get through it. Great advice from both of you, thank you. We are going to wrap it up here with our final question. Um, and we would like each of you to define success for us. So Callie, we will start with you. Okay, so I would define success as achieving a goal that you have set for yourself, even if it isn't the path that you believed that you would have taken to get there the achievement of the goal 
is what would be the successful part, not the road that you took to get there. And I have, there was two quotes that I found that I thought were very fitting, especially for grad school. And that would be self-belief and hard work will always earn you success. And the other quote was, failure is not the opposite of success. It's part of it. Because you might fail on this route to grad school. I applied last year and I was waitlisted and decided it wasn't the perfect time for me. And I reapplied this year. That failure was not a failure. It was part of the success where I am now, where I will be going to grad school. My definition of success was actually really similar to that, Kelly. So I think we are thinking on similar lines here. Uh, definitely revolving around goals, um, setting them for yourself, uh, achieving a goal is, is ideal. That's, that's pretty much the goal. Um, and like Kelly mentioned, that failure is, is common um, and not something to be feared, but rather something from which to learn. Every, every time we fail, whether that's on stage in public in front of our peers, or it's at home when you do a problem wrong when you're practicing or you, whatever, whatever the failure might be, it's only a failure if you take nothing away from it. Cal, you took away that being waitlisted and not accepted in your first round of applications, you didn't say, that's it. That's the end of the road. There's a wall here. Clearly there is no way through for this. You said, no, this is, it's not the right time. Maybe I want more experience. Maybe I want to reconsider what I wrote or other aspects of your application um, and intentions for OT and then took that. And now you're going to school. I mean, you, you didn't fail. You, you learned from that, right? That was an obstacle and you figured out a way to get around it. One of my final prereqs for PA school is actually general psychology. And we're talking about failure and, and cognitive load and all of these different things right now. It's actually really interesting for learning um, and kind of having this growth mindset that that it's not a fixed thing. You're not born with this you know, set quantity of intelligence or ability, but through these acts of failure, through these obstacles that we learn to go over or around or under or through or turn around and say, well, that's not the road anyway, I'm gonna go with this other road because that's, that's a better one um, or whatever it might be. That's how we, we learn in these little instances, we say, from, from a, like a, a neurochemical level, we learn by realizing what we don't know and then trying even harder to, to learn it and to retain it. And our, our brain does that without even our awareness. So these little failures or big failures, we're gonna learn from all of them. So don't, uh, don't take failure as the end of the road. Take a pause, reflect, wonder why it might be that you didn't get in, you didn't get the internship, you didn't, whatever and say okay well what does this mean can i readjust my goal was my was my goal too big was my goal not specific enough am i do i do i need different experience or do i need something else that will enable me to achieve this 
and then you set the next goal afterwards and then you just keep going. Well, I gotta say uh, that was awesome. Uh, thank you for your definitions of success. I think that has become one of my favorite parts of the podcast is we always end with each podcast with um, that question. And it's really fun to hear everybody's different answers. So thank you both for being a part of this podcast and this panel and sharing your knowledge and your experience. Um, it was great. So thank you so much. And we are wishing you all the best. Yeah, good luck to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this is really fun.